0: The entire incident I followed all steps and mechanism to report the police corruption right up to the brigadier, provincial commissioner, national commissioner, and the minister, but nothing, nothing came of it. I am confident in saying that the SAPS is totally dysfunctional and instead of rooting out the type of corruption, members cover and protect each other which condones corruption. I really have lost all faith in the police service.
1: This is Person X, a whistleblower who had a terrifying experience at the hands of the South African Police Service. Short of being violently treated, this whistleblower suffered great losses as a shopkeeper in the province of KwaZulu-Natal. Prior to us listening more to Person X's story, let us get a little bit more context on the work that Corruption Watch as well as other social justice organisations and law enforcement groupings do to combat police corruption and criminal elements within the police sector. Melusi Nala, a senior researcher at Corruption Watch, a social justice organization that is aimed at building a corrupt free society. In this edition of the organization's podcast on police corruption, we, being my guests and I, hope to paint a picture of where South Africa stands in relation to graft in the police sector. We will also be looking at efforts that are ongoing in fighting graft and give an account of a whistleblower's experience. Corruption Watch is headquartered in Bromfonton, Johannesburg. The organization has a satellite office in Cape Town and as a registered member of Transparency International, A global network of corruption fighting organizations conducts a number of activities through the length and breadth of South Africa as well as abroad. Corruption Watch's model is principally based on receiving whistleblower accounts. These cases, classified and categorized according to the organization's definition of corruption, which is the abuse of entrusted power for personal or private gain, are used for research purposes, select investigations and media exposés. Between 2012 and the end of 2021, Corruption Watch received well over 36,000 reports of corruption. From these, over 10% relate to the police services. Specifically, more than three-fifths speak to corruption in the South African Police Service, and 38% are about police corruption at the local level. For example, Metro Police Services. What the intel from whistleblowers has revealed is that 38% of the corruption incidents are about abuse of authority. 30% of corruption cases related to bribery and extortion. And concluding the top three types of corruption, is dereliction of duty, which counts for 20% of corruption cases. What lies beneath the categorizations and percentages are harrowing accounts of brutality, violence, harassment, incompetency and innumerable violations of ordinary people's human rights.
0: Picture this, you're a
2: woman living with a constant threat of violence from an abusive partner. It's been going on for a long
1: time. In a previous edition of the Corruption Watch podcast, looking at police corruption and the atrocities that ordinary people are subjected to, we highlighted that women had endured acts of sextortion, a type of corruption that involves the solicitation of sexual favors by officers and officials from victims of crimes who want to open cases but cannot do so unless they sleep with members of the service.
3: Here at the police station, the police officer on duty is grilling you
2: as if he believes that you've made this up. There's no woman present, although you have asked for a female officer to be in the room.
1: Then, of course, there is what is deemed to be normal behaviour, petty corruption, where officers solicit bribes from community members who are stopped at roadblocks or visit police stations for basic services such as getting an affidavit or filing an insurance claim. These are the cases that our team of journalists, researchers and lawyers look at on a daily basis trying to find solutions to a problem affecting tens of millions of South Africans. Kavisha Pillay, Head of Stakeholder and Campaigns tells us about one of these innovations based on a Google Impact challenge that the organization won. The
3: Visa tool was launched in 2021. How it came about was the Corruption Watch team, through a series of roadshows and visiting different communities across the country, came to the realization that investigating police corruption matters is very difficult and trying to hold individual police officers to account may not be the best way to deal with what we understand as a systemic and systematic issue of police corruption within the South African police services. So what we did was we looked at different approaches to dealing with police corruption in India and the United States and Brazil and even within South Africa. And we came up with something called the VESA tool, which allows users to... Access information about the police station, such as the budgets and the resources and the personnel. It allows you to report issues of police corruption that's geolocated to the specific spot. For example, if you were in Brown Pantine on the quarter street and a police officer asked you for a bribe, you can geolocate to that specific point. And what that gives us is trends and patterns of corruption. So we don't have to just look at an individual case. We can then look at how many other people have experienced bribery under the quarter street in Brampton and that becomes a type of intelligence for law enforcement institutions. It's still, I would say, in a pilot phase of trying to see how putting information out there helps to reduce the imbalance of power between the public and the police. But I do think that it's a step in the right direction, even if it's just about improving transparency within the SAPs.
1: The VESA tool is a critical resource in the fight against corruption and reforming the S.A.P.S.
3: So there's seven things that you can do on the WESA tool. The first thing is that you can report incidents of police corruption and misconduct. But that provides you the second feature of the tool, which is interactive maps of police corruption that highlight trends and patterns and hotspots. So for example, you'd be able to click into the Kauteng province and see what are the specific corruption that's been reported in this province. And, you know, where are the sort of main hotspots in terms of the actual location? The third thing is that you're able to access information relating to your rights when you encounter the police. So if you've been pulled over and asked for a bribe, if you're a vendor and the police are harassing you, if you've been arrested, we give you a full suite of information about your rights, what you should do in those types of situations and who are the institutions that you could report it to. The fourth thing is that you can access information on all 1150 police stations across the country, such as the locations of these stations, its resources, its budgets and its personnel. You can also then compare police station by police station or province by province or city by city. And this will then give you an indication of how much your police station or your city has in relation to budgets and personnel versus another police station in that city. The first thing is you can locate your nearest family violence. Child protection and sexual offences units. These are called FCS units and they're basically set up for victims of sexual violence or domestic violence. What the data is showing us in this regard is that South Africa faces a huge issue in relation to gender-based violence and femicide. And of the 1,150 police stations in the country, only about 160 of those stations have these FCS units. So our tool locates where these units are which would hopefully be useful to victims of GBV and domestic violence. The sixth thing is you can rate and review your police station based on your personal experiences. So you can rate them on their feedback, on their response time, on their communication, and their assistance. And this is going to help us to understand which are the best and worst performing police stations in the country. And then lastly, we offer audiences the opportunity to nominate honest and ethical cops based on their experience. And we find that this is important because the narrative out there is that the police are all corrupt and that you can't trust them. But there are really good and ethical police officers who have dedicated their lives to trying to make South Africa a safer place.
1: In reading a vast number of the 3,899 police corruption cases, the organisation realised that more had to be done in equipping the public with knowledge on how the institution works and how it is supposed to serve and protect communities throughout the country in the south african context this is particularly important due to the institution's history dating as far back as the pre-1994 era when the institution operated as a paramilitary force after the invasion of south africa in 1652 the settlers established an institution known as the Dutch Watch. It later changed to the Cape Constabulary which then became the Cape Town Police Force. The name changes and reconceptualizations were as a result of power being ceded to different colonial governments from the mid 1600s to the latter part of the 18th century. By the end of the 19th century Various regions of the country, the Transvaal, the Cape, and Natal, for instance, were under police institutions of their own because the country was governed by different colonialists. We spoke to the Civilian Secretariat for Police Service regarding further context following the Anglo Boer War and the creation of the Afrikaner British state known as the Union of South Africa.
2: My name is Tagarane Ramaru. I'm the acting secretary for police service. Pre-1995, we had the police who didn't have any Bill of Rights. If need be, they will use force, uh, even in instances where there was no need to use force, but there has to be a civil discussion. Where they had to respect people, there wouldn't be such a respect, but people can just be moved around
1: listening to this you cannot help but wonder if this is at the root of the police's problems in south africa gareth newham the head of the justice and violence prevention program at the institute for security studies intimate as much when he says the ruling party thinks of policing as a technical function it being the african national congress has mainly been concerned with increasing the number of police officers.
4: The understanding of the police has been limited to really thinking about having large numbers of people that are present everywhere and that that somehow will reduce crime. When rather, in fact, it should be seen as a profession in which It has a very particular organizational culture that you only recruit men and women that have a deep sense of public service, that really understand being a police officer as a vocation, yet it's been seen as more of a technical function. So, for example, the South African Police Service increased in size from 132,000 people in 2002 to almost 200,000 people. In 2012, then National Commissioner of Police, Becky Zelle said we've been chasing quantity and not quality. Those kinds of issues have really meant that we do not have an organization that is largely trusted by the population and then can have the impact that it should have given its vast resources. It has a budget of almost 100 billion rand annually, and it has a staff complement of around 150,000 trained police officials. Yet we still see big increases in murder, robbery, organized crime, corruption, and big declines in public trust in policing.
1: It appears that the government could not dispense with the technocratic thinking because in 2010 or so, it introduced a military-styled structure for the institution's ranking system. Ramaru explains how the ranking system works and to whom the police are answerable to.
2: We'll start with the National Commissioner and then you will have what we call the Lieutenant Generals, then you will have the Major Generals, you will have the Brigadier, then it goes down to the Colonel, the Lieutenant Colonel, the Captain, Uh, below the Captain you've got the Warrant Officer, then you've got the Sergeant and finally the Constable, which is the entry level into the Police. But in terms of their functional organisations, so you will have the national commissioner. But then, under the national commissioner, you are going to have the deputy national commissioners. They are the lieutenant generals. So that uh, is the deputy. They are the deputies to uh, the national commissioner. If my memory serves me well, we've got about four uh, deputy national commissioners. Then. Supporting the Divisional Commissioners, you're going to have what we call the Divisional
1: Commissioners. If someone is a station commander, that's the title, not the rank, right? Yes,
2: that's the title. It's not the rank.
1: The title basically explains what kind of job this person is doing. Yes. The institution, right, saps SABs, who are they answerable to ultimately in accordance with the Constitution of South Africa?
2: It will be the um, parliament. It- will be uh, the minister of police. So the minister of the police becomes the, the executive authority. But still, as you, you probably know, all the government uh, departments still has to report uh, to the National Assembly. In the SAP's case, there is the portfolio committee of police. So that's why on regular basis, they still go to report. But of course, when they go there, they are led by the minister of police.
1: It's worth noting at this juncture that the South African police service whose mandate is national operates somewhat differently from local police.
2: So if if you check section 205 of the constitution, then it pretty much gives you what the police have got to do. If I can just paraphrase it, they're empowered to prevent, to combat and to investigate crime and to maintain public order and to protect and secure the citizens of the country, including their property. So they are basically a constitutional institution that has the responsibility to protect us as the citizens and to maintain law and order in the country. But when you look at the metropolis, the metropolis are mainly there to enforce the bylaws that a specific city or metro will have so which is not necessarily the responsibility of the police so if they were to arrest you they will still have to process you through to the police service which will then carry out the investigation
1: but what do all these structural divisions ranks and titles mean in terms of corruption and crime combating efforts how does the police institution Responded to public calls, to curb impropriety and criminal activities in society, and more importantly, to purge itself from such elements? For these answers, we turn to Brigadier Petros Shabalala, who is part of the Anti-Corruption Unit, an internal team within the SAPS. The national anti-corruption within the detective
5: services has been established in uh, 2017. It was mainly established to deal with corruption within the police. In other ways, addressing corruption within the suffering police members. We're dealing with corruption in terms of the Breaker Act, the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act, Act Number 12 of 2004. I must also allude to the fact that we are not looking at the Act itself only we're dealing with cases of fraud that's been committed by our members we're looking at issues like your theft issues like your defeating the ends of justice and then uh, lying under oath for instance so those will be other additional offenses that might be committed by our fellow members so we are also addressing such cases as well
1: that said there are challenges as told by the brigadier we
5: would like to be better capacitated in terms of resources but that is being addressed from time to time within the police you know in terms of the budget what is available and so on other challenges that you have been faced with is colleagues protecting one another and then where they don't want to report their own colleagues and then while corruption is happening under their watch. Of course, as well, you will find that commanders sometimes are colluding with members to commit corruption. Where even they also know where such members are committing corruption, they are not coming forward to report such cases. And then even when you see members of the community as well People would be afraid, you know, to report because some regard it as endangering their life. As such, people are reluctant to
1: report such cases. Considering that officers and officials are fingered in some of the wrongdoing, Nuam said the following in respect to where the problem lies regarding ill conduct and patronage in the institution.
4: It stems from the fact that police officers are given powers that ordinary citizens do not have. Once you're a sworn police officer, you are able to deny people their freedoms. You can stop them and search them. You can arrest them. You can confiscate their goods. You can enter into private property and you have the legal right to use deadly force. So you're trained and you're provided with a state firearm and there are lots of you so that if you do need backup and support you'll be able to get that and that means that you have a lot of power you have more power than any other civil servant like you have more power than teachers or nurses or doctors or social workers and so the problem of corruption is not unique to south africa when it comes to policing it's been long recognized as a occupational hazard of the function of policing in all societies so it's been recognized that the only difference between police agencies around the world is not whether or not there's any corruption. There will be some level of corruption in every police agency. What differs is the amount of corruption. So the fundamental problem is that there's a, that you give police power and that you give the lowest ranking police officers, which are often constables, who are out on the streets, discretion to decide when they use that power or not. And they're not always in line of sight of their supervisors. So they are able to decide how to use that power or not. And it might be for good or it might be for bad. They might use it in order to actually improve public safety, but they might then sometimes use that power for their own benefit.
1: As highlighted before, Corruption Watch's whistleblower complaints support this view. But so too does the data gathered by the VESA tool in its first year. Play explains.
3: What we see is that we've had about 12,000 unique visitors to the site in the past year. And not everybody who visits the site is going to report a case of police corruption. We have about 125 complaints that have come through. And what people are saying to us is that they're mostly experiencing bribery abuse of power, dereliction of duty and sextortion. We're seeing a high number of complaints coming in from Gauteng. Eight complaints come from that province, followed by the Western Cape at 19 and then the Eastern Cape at Twelve. When you're looking at abuse of power, when you're looking at dereliction of duty, the complaints that are coming through relate to, for example, especially in in relation to the dereliction of duty issues, where people are going over to police stations and asking the police officers to open up a case and then they're refusing to do so. Or if you're experiencing some incident um, and you call the police, to assist you and then they don't pitch up. And then similarly with the, an abuse of power, the police would often abuse their position and not necessarily deal with the cases in a way that they should.
1: To understand the full extent of a whistleblower's experience, let us look at a case of alleged graft in KwaZulu natal a province that counts for 13% of corruption cases received by Corruption Watch. Eight, with Gauteng Province, counting for 51% of cases, and Western Cape, which counts for 10% of corruption cases, is accountable for almost three quarters of corruption reports received by the organization within a 10-year period. Here is Person X's story that serves as an example of abuse of authority, bribery and extortion, as well as election of duty allegations.
0: We're running a fuel station, we're running a 2nd hand car sale, we're running a convenience store which is a cafe, and a liquor store which is also all in the same premises. This was during the COVID period when we had this experience, where a bypasser unknown to us had stopped at our premises and alleged we dealing in alcohol. When that took place, the police then was intervened and was also at our premises when he was called by this unknown by So he came along here and uh, interviewed the complainant and then he also interviewed us here at the premises and has noticed that The allegation that was made was not valid. He then noticed that the premises was not indicating that the premises is closed. When
1: the complainant was asked about what the reasons could be for this chance encounter, we were told of incidences where strangers purporting to be from the South African Police Service extorted money from the business person. The shopkeeper goes on to say that a case was opened with the SAPS but nothing has happened so far. The whistleblower's story does not end there because what seemed to be a once-off incident on a Saturday became a weekend ordeal.
0: What happened thereafter, which was the next day, at about 10 o'clock. State police vehicles around my premises Listen, 30 uniformed policemen Members of the MEC People from the press And from the political board And the health department When I came out, they were all surrounded in the entire business premises. From
1: that moment onwards, the situation became more bizarre. It is alleged that law enforcement officials, as well as other persons later found to be not law enforcement, went on to raid the premises, confiscating goods as well as cash. As matters currently stand, there is no happy ending for this complainant because the matter is still being investigated and there is no actual update on when the goods and cash as well as other belongings will be returned to the shopkeeper. Hearing about this alleged incident, it is unsurprising that there is trepidation with regard to blowing the whistle on officers and officials to whom power has been entrusted. Pele highlights some of the factors that make whistleblowing difficult.
3: Whistleblowing against the police in particular is quite difficult and problematic. And what we've seen at Corruption Watch is that whistleblowers will come forward with information which is clearly corruption they would say that there's a police officer who pulled them over and asked them for a bribe but they don't have the necessary information in comparison to other cases where it makes it easier to follow up on those situations so for example There's rarely a time where a whistleblower will have the name of the police official who requested the bribe. And also because these are cash transactions, it's very difficult to get a paper trail. But also because of the power that police have. So you find that even if you you go into a police station and there's a police officer who doesn't want to open your case unless you pay a bribe, you find that because there's that imbalance of power between the police and the public, ordinary members of the public can sometimes be quite hesitant to report the police because they fear that they may then face additional consequences from the police.
1: That said, when you continue to fight a good fight, you will eventually succeed. For Corruption Watch, some of these successes are as a result of collaborating with a number of social justice organisations, institutions and participating in anti-corruption fora.
3: We analyze this information and where we can develop internal interventions to deal with the issue, then we do so. But again, because police corruption matters are very difficult to follow through on. So what we do in some cases is we then partner with bodies that we have relationships with. So one of those bodies is the South African police services. They have an internal anti-corruption unit, and we have quite a close working relationship with this unit Um, where we've previously referred matters to the, the internal unit, and they're then able to use their powers to investigate these matters.
5: That is actually our main successes, the community-driven complaints that we have got, where people are demanding bribes and then they report and then we arrest officers. Since we have been established, I'll just give an estimation. We are arresting, say, for instance, more than 100 police officers per year. It keep on escalating because as we are arresting, people are reporting, people are having confidence.
1: But more needs to happen for even greater results. Nuem hopes that the politicians and high-ranking officials in the police sector will refrain from having a closed dialogue amongst themselves in resolving some of the problems experienced. He says that multiple stakeholders should rather participate in a consultative approach from which a multifaceted strategy could emerge.
4: The one mistake that we hope to avoid moving forward is that the minister of police with his senior management team from the South African Police Service, maybe a few technical advisors sit in a room and then plan a police reform process. So that it's a closed process that is undertaken mainly by the government, by the police, and maybe some of the oversight agencies like the civilian secretariat, independent police Investigative directorate. If you have different perspectives on what the fundamental problem is, then it is important to really think of police reform as a process whereby you've got to engage different sectors including the police, but also the private sector, civil society, academia, communities, on what they want from the police. See where there are the divergences and where are the convergences. In that way, then you are able to better understand on what is going to be contested and what will not be contested. That'll help you then prioritize where to start and also to make sure that you meet the needs of the public, the people who rely on the police for public safety. Nouam adds,
1: though, that there have been moments in time when South Africa saw these initiatives
4: play out. But to what end? The first was to amalgamate the apartheid homeland police forces into a new South African police service with the old South African police force. So basically taking the South African police force and then taking the 10 homeland police forces and amalgamating it into one organization that had a clear understanding of what the skills were. And then a lot of focus went into training and setting those standards. So in many ways, the initial five years of the police transformation process was seen as quite a successful example of police reform internationally. The governing sort of policy then was the National Crime Prevention Strategy, which was also a very good document in that it recognized that the criminal justice system is only one of a number of pillars in achieving low crime rates and improved public safety. But then from 2000 onwards, when the crime rates started going up and people were starting to feel less safe, they scrapped the national crime prevention strategy and they drafted a national crime combating strategy, which was very police focused. That is when Jackie Salebi was appointed. But even there, there was a lot of focus on human rights. And then Jackie Salebi went, well, let's get more serious. And we start having operation crackdowns and more focused big operations. By 2006, you know, even at that point in time, various independent research surveys of leading police stations showed a relatively positive engagement with policing. So people would go to a police station to open a case, and they were asked how they found the service. And the majority of people were actually quite satisfied. So I think a lot was done, but most of it was sort of happening on paper. There was a white paper on policing in 1998, and then there was a white paper on policing in 2016. There was a development plan in 2012. There were also commissions and inquiry, so the to Commission of Inquiry, the murray Commission of Inquiry. Then in 2018, a, a panel of experts to look at policing, and crowd management. So government has done various things. But what seems to have been the shortcoming is that those various initiatives, whether it's a policy document or it's a commission of inquiry, the recommendations have never been implemented properly.
1: In light of Nouam's claims, Pele had the following to state with regards to Corruption Watch's experience with the institution in respect to the VESA tool
3: corruption which has presented this tool to various government stakeholders there is always this excitement about technology and innovation but i wouldn't say that they've embraced it yet we're still in this process with the south african police services where we have to get information through promotion of access to information requests prior requests which take a really long time whereas you know this type of technology should be something that the sap sees as positive and that they proactively give us this information instead of us constantly having to put in requests for data. We're still on a journey, I guess, with this tool to try and make it as accessible as possible to as many people in the country, but also to win over key officials within the government. for them to sort of see that this tool is actually a resource and would help to improve policing at a systemic level. And it's not just an approach or something that was developed by civil society to antagonize them.
1: Nonetheless, play and company fight on, because without a clean and functioning police institution that will serve one and all, how else are South Africans to build a corrupt free society based on principles of justice, fairness, and equality as stipulated by the constitution of the republic? After all, as Ramaru explains, according to the founding document of the Democratic Dispensation, the police institution must serve all persons.
2: The protection of the citizens arrest with the police, that is a general term. If you go to the police station to report a case, So one of the first and most important services will be for the police now to take statement from you. And if there is a case for somebody to be arrested, then that is the service that they need to offer you where the person will be arrested and then the law uh, take its course. If there is a protection order, then they've got a responsibility to make sure that that protection order is served to the person who has to receive that protection order.
1: It is important, though, that when the police serve and protect, it be done within a human rights framework. Nguem says more on this.
4: We are a constitutional democracy with an inalienable bill of rights. The police are there specifically to uphold our human rights, to ensure that everybody has the right to life, to safety, to freedom of association, expression. And so they play a key role in that. The police are fundamental to ensuring that we do achieve our human rights. The problem is that, unfortunately, because of the problems I mentioned earlier about the orientation of policing being more militarized, they seem to think they must fight crime. One of their top sort of objectives is to stamp the authority of the state. That is objective number one in the current strategic plan. So they become a human rights abuser themselves. In the last 10 years or so, there's been uh, well over 40,000 formal complaints opened with the Independent Police Investigative Directive against the South African Police Service Officers for assault and torture and rape and murder. So they're not doing that. But it doesn't mean they can't do that. If there was a political will from the governing party that understands that they must orientate this organization to be orientated towards upholding people's rights to promoting and protecting everyone's dignity, because that is the only way this organization could bring in the communities to work with it, to make it able to have a positive impact on public safety, then it would be achieved, because there are many men and women in the South African Police Service who do believe in human rights, who are vocational police officials, who want to be seen as professionals, and now they join the police because they want to help their communities.
1: Ultimately, we all have a role to play and a responsibility in holding those who are in power to account so as to realize the ideals expressed in South African laws, policies as well as the persons who contributed to this podcast. How can we play our part? The anti-corruption unit through Brigadier Shabalala asks that members of the public get in touch with him regarding only complaints of police corruption. You can do so by calling 012-393-1669 or 063-689-0095. Should you want to find out more about the community-based initiatives by the Civilian Secretariat for Police, you are encouraged to visit their website on www.policesecretariat.gov.za. And to get involved or to know more about the work that the Institute for Security Studies does, please visit www.issafrica.org. And lastly, to make use of the VESA tool, please go to www.veza.org.za. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Corruption Watch podcast. To report corruption and to check out the organization's projects and campaigns, please visit www.corruptionwatch.org.za. You can email info at corruptionwatch.org.za. You can call 011-242-3900. Or you can WhatsApp us at 082-579-5220 Until we meet again Hashtag my hands are clean